If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 627. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page. Find all those accounts at at Brian McClanahan or go to brianmcclanahan.com, B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahan Academy or going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. Click on the support tab at my page. You can throw a few pennies my way. Also click on the shop tab while you're there. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Share the podcast around on social media. That's how we grow the audience. And send me those show requests. I do enjoy them. I may not respond back to you, but I do enjoy your input as to what you want to hear. Now... Let's talk about the topic of the day. I was going to do something else for Wednesday and Thursday of this week, but the earth-shattering news that the Supreme Court may be poised to strike down Roe v. Wade was the topic of not just the week, but also perhaps the year so far, and maybe of the last five years. We've been seeing, and things we've talked about this week in the culture war, we've been seeing the ramping up of the culture war since 2016, really, and Of course, this is what the left, I mean, the left are melting down on social media right now in a way unseen since essentially 2016. I don't think that there's any question the last time we saw this kind of freakout by the left was when Donald Trump was elected president. And now, of course, they're dusting off the illegitimate Supreme Court, illegitimate president, illegitimate everything. These are the things they've been trying, they've been saying since 2016. But of course, if Donald Trump says it, in 2020, that's an insurrection, or if uh, any of the other sitting members of Congress say that's an insurrection, but you have Elizabeth Warren and other members of Congress out now stoking the flames of violence. I mean, it's not, it says something when the Supreme Court has barricades put up in front of it, not to protect it from the right, but to protect it from the left, because the left is the most violent political faction in the history of the world. I've talked about that. There is no other group that's as violent as the left. They are the true believers in political violence and the ones you have to fear the most. So we've got the left melting down. We've got this potential, and I say potential because it's not settled yet. I mean, people are acting as if the court has already decided. We don't know if that's going to be the case. We know that potentially five of the Supreme Court justices have decided that they're going to strike down Roe v. Wade. We know that John Roberts is not going to join that group, at least at this point. And there's no certainty that five will join the decision when it's handed down in June. I'm still not convinced it's going to happen. It might. It might very well happen. I mean, when you look at the five justices, I'm not certain any of them are um, going to back down in their decision here, in their their decision-making process. But anything can happen between, we've, we've got a month. A lot of things can happen in a month, so we'll see. But if that does happen, if Roe v. Wade is struck down, 
Roe v. Wade, of course, was decided in 1973 dubiously. And that's what I want to talk about today and how this affects constitutional law and also uh, the culture war and um, other aspects of American society. But if it is struck down, well, then one of the most dubious uh, pieces of garbage from the Supreme Court will be done away with. And that's because it was based on nothing. Look, Roe v. Wade is a bad legal decision. Even the people that were behind it in 1973 recognized it as a bad legal decision. And by the way, that decision was also leaked before it was issued in 1973. It was a byproduct of the leftward movement of America culturally in the 1960s. And so you had uh, all of these major social issues being foisted on the American public through the Supreme Court, by the way, I mean, the left is going bananas over the fact the Supreme Court is swinging back the other way, but they're forgetting that when all these decisions were made, the Supreme Court swung left, and that all the conservatives at the time were bemoaning the Supreme Court. You see, the issue really is the Supreme Court, and I'm going to talk about that tomorrow with a great piece by Jeff Dice, but that really is the issue here. The issue at the heart of all of this is that we have America being governed by essentially five judges on a regular basis. And that's just incorrect. Now, Roe v. Wade is a bad legal decision because it's not based on anything constitutionally. There's no right to privacy. You'd have to stretch that amendment. You'd have to stretch the Fourth Amendment so far that it would break. Uh, this is an issue that is purely under the purview of the states. And if Roe v. Wade is struck down, what the left is not realizing is that there would still be 24 states in the United States that would still allow the procedure. 24 states. 26 states would not, potentially, but 24 states would. Now, would that change? Would you have 20 states? Would you have 15 states? Would you have five states? I don't know. But if you want to have that procedure done, you can go to, right now, 24 states in the United States and have the procedure done. 24 states. So I can guarantee you that the South would be a no-go zone for the procedure moving forward in, uh, in American history, should Roe v. Wade be struck down. But you would still have California, Massachusetts, New York, Illinois. I mean, take your pick of some leftist mecca out there. You could still go to those states and do whatever you wanted. In fact, you could have these wonderfully blue states where all of you lefties could go and live. And you could get out of all the other states and let us live our lives the way we want to. And you could go live your lives the way you want to. It would be absolutely beautiful. In fact, apparently California is poised to uh, pass legislation that would pay for people to come to, out to California and have the procedure done. The state of California would actually pay to bring people into the state. It would bring leftists in the state. Now, if this is not, and what I want to talk about, if this is not setting up for massive decentralization in America, I don't know what is. The culture war, more than anything else, is the catalyst, I think, that's going to bring about the ultimate decentralization of the United States. And it always should be. In fact, I was listening to Elizabeth Warren's embarrassing rant uh, in front of, uh, well, I mean, she's just out there ranting. And she looks silly. Um, she looks awkward. She's just completely ridiculous. But she said something that I, I found interesting. She said, well, the majority of the American public want Roe v. Wade to stay in place. So she's basing this on a numerical majority. 
And perhaps that might be the case. She says 69% of Americans, I mean, where she gets these numbers, I don't know, uh, but 69% of Americans. Now, is that 69% of, if you just take the American people as one homogenous people, but we know that's not the case. So we know, say, in California or New York or Illinois, you're going to have larger majorities for this. And of course, there's more people that live in those states than other states. But we know in many states, in fact, her own state of Oklahoma, it's very unpopular uh, for that procedure. And uh, uh, when she was born, I should say, of course, she's not in Oklahoma anymore, but where she was born, very unpopular for that procedure. In fact, um, I mean, the, the uh, state of Oklahoma has one of the most strict regulations of the procedure in the United States. So in that state, the majority is actually the other way. So this brings up the issue of what does federalism do in America? Is federalism there to ensure that uh, these states, which are the building blocks of the union, are responsive to the people of the states? Well, of course. That's the whole point. And so we have a numerical majority, perhaps. I say perhaps because, I mean, again, where are people getting these numbers? That uh, abortion should be legal. But then we have the concurrent majority, and I'm going to bring up Calhoun, the concurrent majority, where you would say that, well, that's not the case. You don't have unanimous consent on this. So there's a piece of, there's, there's an idea where you have federal law in this way that would uh, be invalid because the states could simply knock down a federal law or a federal decision. Now, again, there's no federal law on this. It's simply that you had a state saying that uh, the procedure was legal and the Supreme Court essentially declared it to be legal everywhere, right? That was it. It's legal everywhere. But this was a decision of the states. It always has been. It's always been under the purview of the states. I can't find anything in the U.S. Constitution that would allow the general government to decide on this particular issue. Now, there is a leftist legal scholar I was looking at uh, before I went on and did this episode where she said, well, wait a second here. What about the Commerce Clause? Because the Commerce Clause could easily be interpreted, and the case law supports this over all the years, that, the, that, the, that this could be commerce. This is commercial activity. A woman traveling across state lines to go have the procedure done. Well, that's, that's commercial activity. There you go. And so the, the uh, United States Congress could pass legislation essentially ensuring through the Commerce Clause that all of this would remain legal. And of course, you have Bernie Sanders and others out there saying we need to what we need to do. All the lefties, we need to have Congress pass legislation to the effect. It wouldn't it wouldn't make it any more constitutional. And look, as the Commerce Clause has been stretched to a point of breaking because this is what we've done with so many things. Well, it's the Commerce Clause. Uh, the Commerce Clause was not designed to do this. It was designed to have a free intercourse, a free trade zone throughout the United States, not to have some pet leftist culture war projects uh, pass through Congress and then the Supreme Court miraculously upholds these things. But the fact is, the Commerce Clause is where I think if the left is going to go after this thing and try to use some type of legislation or something to that effect to ensure that uh, this, uh, this procedure is now legal across the United States, this is what they're going to do. Now again... Uh, Roe v. Wade is a bad legal decision. There's nothing in it that uh, you could say is a good decision based on the Constitution of the United States. Not the Fourth Amendment, not the Fourteenth Amendment, and certainly not the Tenth Amendment. 
in fact, the 10th Amendment is where we should be looking for this because uh, the 10th Amendment is the guiding light when it comes to federal legislation. It was the key to the entire process. And according to the 10th Amendment, there's nothing in the Constitution that allows the general government, name, and most importantly, the Supreme Court, to go after, uh, to, to say that this procedure is legal in all the states. Now, Biden was out uh, making the statement that, uh, well, what's next? Is, uh, is gay marriage next? If we, if we strike down abortion, is gay marriage next? Well, um, that particular issue is also interesting because when you look at the Constitution, there's nothing in the Constitution that allows the federal government to regulate marriages. That's something that was always left to the states. And so what's happened? I mean, this is where, again, the left realizes that they put all their eggs in the basket of the Supreme Court. And they did it because they thought they could control it in, per, in, uh, in perpetual, right? In, per, in perpetuity. They thought they could control the Supreme Court, that they controlled the bench, they controlled the federal bench, and they could use the Supreme Court and the legal system to get what they wanted because they knew they couldn't get it through the proper legislative channels. They never can. Remember, most of what we get that's leftist legislation, quote-unquote, is actually a court decision. That's what we get, right? So when the legislatures, which, are the, which reflect the will of the people, right? When they, are, when they are involved in the process, we rarely get far-left legislation. Now, every now, every now and then we do. And of course, in the states, you're going to get it more. But that's because the states reflect the political co community of the smaller entity, right? So, um, the, but the Democrats, the left, have put all their eggs in the basket of the Supreme Court for nearly 100 years. And if that's undone, they're going to go ballistic, because to them, that's the only recourse they had. Now they're talking about, well, Biden needs to take executive action, and the Congress needs to do this. I'm going to tell you right now, the Congress is not going to pass any legislation that's going to make this legal. They won't do it, and they know, they're not going to do it for this reason. They would lose. They would get thrown out all across the United States. I don't think there's any question that if the Congress tries this, and if the Congress does this, there's not going to be a blue wave. I think the red wave is more likely because Americans have decided that they really don't like the left. They really don't like wokeism. They don't like any of this stuff. I mean, there are certainly people that do, and there's a faction of the American public that does. But that, keeping that in mind, wouldn't it be better to have some way for the leftist states to invalidate what they consider to be legislation that would be too far right, for example? If Congress is to go out and pass a Defense of Marriage Act, which they did, well, that's also unconstitutional. I think the Obama administration was correct in saying that that act is unconstitutional. There's nothing in the Constitution that allows the Congress to decide what a marriage is. Now, I will say this, uh, and, and that's an important point to make, okay, because if Congress does the, on the left, if they go out and say, well, abortions are legal, it's the same thing. There's no, there's no part of the Constitution that allows the Congress to do this, just like there's no part of the Constitution that allows the, the Congress to say a marriage is defined as such. The states can do this all day long. The states can do that any way they want, but not the Congress. And so that's the real issue here that we're facing with this culture war. The real issue is federalism. And what role does federalism play in American society? 
there was a piece that was written in November of 2020 at First Things. It's written by Peter Lightheart. And I'm going to read a little bit of this piece. He, he actually brings up a book by David French, who's awful. But the book is entitled Divided We Fall. And I want to read just a little bit of this particular piece because he hits the nail on the head 150%. The title is, Is Federalism the Solution? Is Federalism the Solution to the Culture War in America? Well, absolutely. You just have to get people to buy into it. And the left has have staked their claim on the central authority doing everything they want. So it's very hard for them to say federalism is a solution. But anyways... He begins, a still undecided presidential election confirms what observers have been saying for years. Politically, culturally, and morally, we're a fractured republic. Well, let me stop right there. We've been a federal republic since the beginning. It's not fractured, it's federal. And what does that mean? It's a republic of states. And those states have different political communities. And those states have different political cultures. That was by design. We've never been a singular republic. We've never been a nation. So see, this piece is operating from the position of, hey, you know what we are? We're a centralized authority. We've never been that, ever. The problem is, the problem is we've decided, not through any kind of constitutional means, but through essentially propaganda, that the United States is a nation. It's the major problem. And so... Federalism will be the solution, but it's the key to everything in America. There's more uniting us than dividing us rings hollow with, with different sectors of America as America, I'm sorry, when different sectors of America are viscerally committed to one or the other interpretation of what we still call the supreme law of the land. As David French observes in his recent Divided We Fall, there is no single important cultural, religious, political, or social force that is pulling Americans together more than it is pushing us apart. Well, that's because it's never been that way, right? People think World War II is the, is the real America. It was the exception. It was the exception that people were so interested in a common voice at that time. It's the exception in American history. Sober observers have begun to ponder the prospect of secession or civil war. And I will say this. If, if this decision does anything, and again, it's going to lead to massive decentralization in America. It's going to push, I think, the left into a position more in line with secession than anything else. I think they're going to want it more because they don't see, if their courts, their precious courts, don't back them, there's really no other choice for them. French imagines a Calixic sparked by immigration or a Texit driven by battles over abortion rights. Riots have given us a taste of the potential for violent disorder, and Chaz seems a portent of things to come. Um, Ayman Ismail seems to speak for many Democrats when he writes in Slate that he doesn't want to be united with Trump's America. Pressure builds, and there's no pressure valve in sight. So again, this is 2020. Trump can't heal these divisions. If he wins, we'll face another four years of anti-Trump hysteria from Democratic politicians and the media. Biden can't do it either. His plan to unite America comes down to putting the good people back in charge. By filling the Supreme Court with Federalists and Originalists, however, Trump may have laid the groundwork for a more dramatic solution. In his Calexit uh, hypothetical, French's Roberts S. Chief Justice urges the court to reconsider the entire doctrine of incorporation because he senses the magnitude of the American divide 
and seeks a constitutional method for restoring federalism by reinterpreting the 14th Amendment narrowly and state sovereignty broadly. Perhaps the real Roberts Court can work a similar magic. So Roberts wouldn't do this, but you've got five people who could, right? And if they get rid of this idea of incorporation, which is the point, that's the danger here, then we could do something else. After all, major cause of our fracturing is the nationalization of divisive moral issues. Instead of leaving abortion to the states, the Supreme Court declared a constitutional right to privacy that imposed uniform rules on millions of unwilling citizens. In a series of gay rights decisions culminating in Oberfell, the, the court struck down existing state laws and imposed gay marriage. Over the past century, many other areas of our common life have come under the purview of the federal government. As a result, each of these issues becomes a titanic, rancorous, winner-take-all battle for the soul of America. Neoliberalism used to unite Republicans and Democrats, but that consensus has evaporated. Victories are short-lived as we lurch from one side of the political spectrum to the other every four or eight years. Roe could be the hinge of a reversal. If Roe is overturned, no national abortion ban will follow. Rather, states will decide whether to ban abortion altogether, regulate it, or expand abortion rights to de facto infanticide. If the court rejects Obgerfell, Alabama, Mississippi, and other states will define marriage as an exclusively male-female relationship, while other states will be free to legalize same-sex marriage, threesomes, and foursome marriages, marriages to cats, or whatever they like. Some states will allow pornography, some states will censor it, some states will permit public libraries to host drag queen story hour, others won't. The Supreme Court's role will be more modest. Instead of reluctantly or gleefully playing the the, at being philosopher kings, the justices will often bat cases back to the states to decide in the rough trade of legislative politics and administrative enforcement. That paragraph is important. All these things are true. All the culture war should be handled at the state level. If you want to live in a leftist utopia, go move to California. If you don't, get out. If you want to live in a place that's very conservative, live in Alabama or South Carolina. If you don't, get out. What will happen is people will start voting with their feet. Now, I know this is easier said than done for a lot of people. I've had people email me. Well, I can't leave. My family's been here in California for, for generations. I can't leave the state. That's a choice you make. That's a choice you make. And, of course, um, you know, people were making these choices for years and coming to the United States in particular. I mean, so you had people that would say in England, I, my family's been here as a baron so-and-so in England for years, but they're going to come to America. Why? Because it's better opportunity. They can do what they want. It's better, right? So sometimes these decisions have to be made. We're looking at a situation now in America that's akin to what was happening in the 17th century and 18th century in, in uh, England slash Great Britain, where people were making decisions to come to America for a variety of reasons, but namely because they, a lot of them thought that it was a better opportunity here, be it religion, economic, whatever the case may be. It was better here. That's where we're going. So if you're in California, there might be a better situation in, say, Texas or Florida or Alabama. If you're a conservative and you want to live somewhere that better reflects your values, that's what you got to think about. And if you're a leftist and you live in Alabama or South Carolina, maybe California is the place for you. Maybe Illinois is the place for you. Maybe New York's the place for you. And you can go live there and do all the leftist things you want. Renewed federalism could produce a generally pluralist America. Each state will run its own moral political experiment without direct interference from the other states or from the moralistic federal government, as states currently do with drug laws. 
Such pluralism will be sturdier than our current enforced tolerance because each experiment would be backed by the institutionalized power of a state. As French observes, federalism has a bad reputation because states have used it to oppress racial minorities. And I think that's, that's, the, that's the thing, right? That's it. That's the only argument against it. Well, if you have federalism, you're going to have a reinstatement of Jim Crow. Well, that's not going to happen. Uh, but, I mean, this is, well, his states' rights has always been used for race. You can't have states' rights because it's race. I mean, this is what you get to, right? It's the most sophomoric, stupid thing in the world. But this is what people do because that's all they know. Because you know why? They've been told that their entire lives. In French's view, a government that is truly federal will protect individuals from the states. States will have to respect the procedural protections of the federal constitution. They won't be permitted to exclude dissenters, black Voting rights interfere with religious practice or deprive individuals of due process, the right to counsel, or the right to be free of cruel and unusual punishments. But French leaves critical questions unanswered. Does protecting individual rights extend to abortion rights or gay marriage? If so, then returning authority to the state solves nothing because it leaves many of the primary sources of national contention in federal hands. To work, federalism has to do more discriminating about incorporating the Bill of Rights. The federal government will protect some specified freedoms, but will give up searching for penumbras to shelter generalized privacy rights. And within the states, the political temperature will rise. It will be short work for Alabama to pass pro-life and marriage amendments to the state constitution. But in many states, the battles will be intense and prolonged. It may end in polarized standoffs. This is interesting. Because within the states, could you not have a concurrent majority? Could you not do that in these states? Of course you could. You could have a situation where the states adopt some type of procedure like this, where you have to have unanimous consent on these things, and it could work, right? So what you could have, I mean, as Calhoun outlines, you would have an expansion of liberty in every state and every place. But of course, in the state, the states are free to choose how they want to do this, but we know we would have more uh, freedom to do what we want in our states should you have a type of, of a state negative on federal law. And that's really all that's happening here. The Supreme Court is acting as a backstop the way that Patrick Henry wanted it to. And he said, look, I hope they declare unconstitutional federal laws unconstitutional. You got to do something, right? The states could be able to do this too, but I mean, there has to be a veto somewhere. Washington and Oregon turn from blue to red states as one moves east from the coast. And there are pockets of hard-nosed conservatism in California. States may end up redrawing boundaries with liberal and urban coasts sharing an amoral establishment and leaving rural inland areas to make common calls with the likes of Utah and Idaho. Well, I mean, this is exact. I think you could see state boundaries redrawn. You could actually start seeing people talk about secession again, real secession. We need out. And that would be fantastic. Because, look, the whole point of secession is peace and liberty and, and uh, you know, self-determination. That's what it's about. So if that's what you really believe in, the American principle of that, you should be on board with those things. Under the federalism French proposes, no one will be pleased. Many Americans will be outraged at the prospect of reversing abortion rights or outlawing same-sex marriage anywhere in America. I will be horrified that any American states allow killing unborn babies or protect sexual perversions. Renewed federalism will require colossal acts of self-restraint. It will be the work of, a, of federal officials who recognize that releasing power is the only alternative to the dissolution of America. Exactly right. You want to keep the union together, this is what Calhoun said, you've got to allow for massive decentralization. It's the only way to keep the union together. That's it. 
you have to allow states to be states. You have to allow the political culture of the states to be reflective in those state governments and what the states want. And that works. You move to the state that you like. If you don't like it, you get out. It's that simple. Is it an improvement to replace one big culture war with 30 or 40 smaller ones? If we're as close to civil war or secession as some think, the answer is yes. So I, I like this piece, and I think he hit the nail on the head a couple of years ago. Well, not even a couple of years ago. I mean, we're talking, what, year and a half? But this is stuff, I mean, look, I've been saying these things for years. Uh, decentralization is the way. Think locally, act locally is the way. It's the, This is the way, right? This is the only thing we can do to prevent secession, to prevent massive uh, protests and other things. This is it. Decentralization. All right. So, um, big, big news, of course, and we'll see what happens. I'm not so certain everything's going to shake out the way people think it is, but um, this is a major shift in America should this happen and should the court go down this path of saying, you know what? Yeah, all these Supreme Court decisions, they were wrong. Uh, they were based on a faulty legal argument that's not uh, backed up by any historical precedent. Uh, the Constitution doesn't allow the general government to do these things. And you know what? The 14th Amendment doesn't either. All right. See you tomorrow on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.